This weekend, guys, I want to wrap up our series called Thanks Living. We started two weeks ago, and we said that three things needed to be disconnected from our contentment. First was consumption. We'll never have enough stuff if getting enough stuff is our goal. You'll never have enough. You're never going to get there. So if your idea is like, if I could only get that house or that car or that job or that thing or whatever that is, what, if, you, if, if, you, if that's your goal in life, you're never going to have enough. It's just never going to happen because we have to disconnect our contentment from consumption. We said also that week we have to disconnect our contentment from circumstances. Uh, John 16, 33, he says, uh, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. And then he says that uh, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. So Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Things are going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. Things are going to be bad. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so circumstances are going to happen in our lives. And if our contentment is tied to our circumstances, we're always going to be robbed of joy. And the last thing we said that week was we need to disconnect our contentment from control. If I have to control Everything around me, uh, you know, a lot of people think that if I can control everything around me, then I can control the outcome. And if I can control the outcome, then I can control my happiness. But how many of you know that we really can't control everything? You can't control everything. There's some things you can control. You could decide what you had for breakfast this morning. You could do that, but you can't decide how your kids are going to act. You can't decide how your boss is going to be. You can't decide. You can't control everything. So we have to disconnect our contentment from that. And then we said we have to connect our contentment to Christ. Last week, uh, Mike spoke. He did an amazing job reminding us that we need to rejoice. Uh, Philippians 4, 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We learned that we can rejoice because of who we are in Christ, sons and daughters of God, and what we have in him. So it's not about what's going on in our lives, what's happening, all the things that happen. No, it's because of who we are in Jesus. So we're in this series called Thanksgiving. Obviously, it's going along with the holiday that we just celebrated. Um, how many of you guys in here are the Thanksgiving purists? Like no Christmas things can go out until Thanksgiving is done. Who, who's the, okay, Thanksgiving purists in the room. How many of you guys have already decorated for Christmas, right? Okay, good, done. All right, uh, the Thanksgiving purists in the room. By that I mean no decorations can go up, no Christmas music in the house, no Christmas movies, including Die Hard. Um, no, no, no turkey is, and you know, the, the, the turkey has to be all consumed and put away. Cowboys have to lose a football game. Uh, so remember... <laughs> Some members of your family have to crash them all at 11 a.m. And once all of that happens, now we can celebrate Christmas. So that's a Thanksgiving purist. And, some of, and we've already established that most of us in this room are not. Um, how many of you guys would set up Christmas decorations in September if you did not have strong accountability in your life? Right? Anybody love Christmas that much? Right? Love Christmas. And you guys have the Thanksgiving purist house. Okay, I see how this is going. Marriage counseling offered after the service. All right, so, so like, just, there's just different types of people. There's different types of people. Some of them, like, we have to wait until Thanksgiving is done. Some of them, we have to, you know, we want to celebrate Christmas as soon as possible. Another equally divisive topic on Thanksgiving is this. Cranberry sauce. I've never met someone who's like, eh, I could take it or leave it on cranberry sauce. Either you love it or you hate it, right? So how many people hate it in the room? Like cannot stand it, right? How many of you guys love it? Do we have people in the middle? You're in the middle. Okay, you're like rare, right? So, that, so that's like you're the first person I've ever met that was like, I could take it or leave it. You know, most people either love it or hate it. Thanksgiving is a crazy holiday. 
In a culture that measures success by how much we can consume, we celebrate what we're thankful for by seeing how much we can consume. That's the whole gist of Thanksgiving. That's what it's all about. And if you're like me, uh, you were fighting off the little turkey chemical at 4 p.m. You know, the chemical that's in the turkey that makes you tired, that makes you want to like go to sleep and all that stuff. Like I was fighting that off at 4 p.m. Uh, my wife and Lily and uh, I, we went to Target at 5 p.m. on Thanksgiving. It was chaos there. Um, but I really wasn't there for like the deals. We didn't really buy much, but I really just wanted to kind of get out and like walk off like everything that I'd eaten that day. You know how I many of you guys like, you're like, man, dude, Thanksgiving, I was stuffed. I just ate way too much. We had so much food and we still didn't eat all of it. There, there's a, a, a place called the National Resource Defense Council. They said this, they estimate that 200 million pounds of turkey meat are thrown out, were thrown out over this holiday weekend. 200 million pounds of turkey meat were thrown out over this holiday weekend. So we, again, we live in a culture that measures success by how much we can consume, and we celebrate that, what we're thankful for, by seeing how much we can consume, and then we end up throwing tons of it out. If consumption is the measure of success, then the only things that are useful will get consumed. We don't discard things that we find useful in our house. This is why you don't throw away your plates and your cups in your house, because they're useful to you, right? We also don't throw away things that are valuable. You, you, you don't throw away your mother's silver or your grandfather's watch, because we attach value to it. So you have value and we have usefulness. But today, this message is not about our waste. Uh, this is not like an environmental thing. I believe you need to take care of God's creation. You've got to do that. It's not about our waste. Today's message is what do I do when I feel like I am a waste? What do I do when all my efforts are not appreciated? When I feel like I'm being overlooked? When others don't see in me what I see in me? What happens when I feel discarded or rejected by others? Have you ever been through this? You ever been through this in life where you like, man, man, I just, I just want people to like notice that I'm like trying here, that I'm making a contribution, that, that I, I'm putting myself out there. I, I want my hard work to be noticed. And then sometimes it just isn't valued. Or maybe, maybe you, you had something that you valued and that something was taken away from you. What do we do when we feel like life is wasted? Today I want to look at three stories in the Bible, really quickly, three stories of people who have been overlooked, misunderstood, and underappreciated. And I want to look at this today because I want, to, I want us to look at what, it, what do we do when we feel like we go through seasons, we go through times when it feels like life is wasted. First thing I want to look at is when Jesus sends out his disciples, he does this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 14, and he says this. He says, and proclaim as you go, Matthew 10, verse 7, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You received without paying, give, uh, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunic or sandals or staff for la uh, the laborer deserves his food. In whatever village or town you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay until you depart. So what he's, Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, go out, proclaim the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leopards, raise the dead, cast out demons, do all this stuff that you're going to do and don't take anything with you. 
Don't take anything with you. Don't like save up before you go and live off your savings. Don't do any of that. Just go out and do it, right? And then he says this. And as you enter the, ho- enter the house, this is when you get, you get to the village, when you, when you find a place that's worthy. And as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or house. As Jesus is sending out his disciples, he never promises that everyone they contact or they come in contact with will receive them favorably. He actually promises rejection. He promises that, hey, when you, when you go to these places, there's some people that just won't accept you. They're not going to do that. If you enter a house that's worthy, he said, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if they don't receive you in your word, shake the dust off your feet. Early on as a Christian, I thought that shake the dust off your feet was the most dismissive thing that you could do someone. It's like, you know, just... Like, that's what you were doing to the person. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. Here's the thing, though. But when Jesus calls us personally and we take personal time to develop the skills related to that calling and and we personally make sacrifices for that calling, and and it's, it's very hard then when rejection happens by others to not take that, well, personally, right? You take it personally. And so he tells us to shake the dust off your feet. And as I used to read this, I used to think that I all, that meant that I could take the rejection that I received from other people and the disdain that I received from other people and I could just send it back toward them. You rejected me, therefore I reject you. At least that's how I used to read it. Why, what do you think uh, when others don't acknowledge you? What do you do when your boss is constantly belittling you or that sister mocks your dreams? What do you do when your spouse doesn't see the potential that you see in yourselves or, or you get uh, belittled or ignored? What do you do when you don't fit in? What do you do when you're rejected? If you tie your emotional health and your spiritual health to the applause of others, the lack of their acceptance will be your downfall. If you tie your emotional or spiritual health to the applause of others, the lack of their acceptance will be your downfall. So what does shake the dust mean? The clues found in the passage. He says, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. If it is not deserving, let your peace return to you. Offer your peace to other people. Our, in English, we, we see the word peace as like lack of conflict, right? When I'm at peace, I'm just not at conflict with anyone, right? That's how we see it. That's how we translate that word. But that's really not the, the Jewish understanding when, when uh, the, the Bible was being written to this audience. That's not their understanding of peace. We define peace in the negative. It's the absence of strife or absence of conflict. But Jews saw peace as holistic. The word shalom is like a multidimensional, uh, complete, well-being being physical, psychological, social, spiritual, everything flowing together because you're put right. You're put right. Everything in your life is right. With God first, with other people, with yourself, everything is put right. And so when Jesus says, let your peace rest on others, what he's saying is that, that every, the wholeness that you have, let it pass to other people. And if they reject you, let that wholeness just come back to you. 
What Jesus is saying in the passage is that as we come in, come in contact with others, we need to open ourselves up. Give us, give the fullness of everything that God has done for us. And if it's rejected, let it come back. When you are met with fear, respond in love. When you're met with despair, respond in faithfulness. When you're met with rejection, respond with peace. When you're met with someone else's insecurity, respond with a security that does not require their approval. Respond with security that does not require their approval. It's impossible to meet rejection with peace if your completion is found in the approval or affirmation of others. If your peace is found in the approval and affirmation of God, then any rejection by anyone else can simply be seen as a closed door and an open door. How many of you guys believe that God is in control of your life? Right? I believe that. I believe that God's in control of that. I believe that God directs your steps. I believe that God brought you here today. It's not by accident. Your, your life is not an accident. This, is, this isn't just like, you know, somehow the universe uh, just dialed in at one point to have you here today. No, I believe God's got a plan for your life. God orchestrated it. He, he brought you here. And, and so because of that, because of that, whenever I'm going through a situation at work or, or you know, my boss is just, you know, there's, there's just a dead wall, just a, a brick wall there, or maybe I, I lose my job or maybe something like that happens. You can see that now because you're seeking the approval of God and not man. You can see that now as a closed door. Okay, God, close that door. Let me go find another open door. Like, it doesn't have to be like, well, this door was closed. Now my whole life is falling apart, Right? Because God is the one who's in control. God is orchestrating things. And sometimes, sometimes God orchestrates us to go through seasons that shape our character. He orchestrates us to go through, go through some things that are, that are hard. Again, Jesus never said, Jesus never said that life would be perfect. Jesus promised in John 16 that we're going to have trouble. But we can see that when we go through trouble, God is in it. God is opening doors. God is orchestrating. God is closing doors. He's doing all this to bring about what he wants in our lives. If I was rejected, it's because God was closing a door so he could open another in New Testament times, the, the roads were very dusty. You know, Jesus says to shake the dust off your feet. Everywhere you go, this dust would like attach itself to you, right? How many of you guys have just been outside working in the yard in Arizona dust and it's just all like over you? And like, you're just like, dude, how, this dust just doesn't come off, right? It just doesn't come off. It doesn't come off me. It doesn't come off my car. It doesn't come off my tools. It just doesn't come off. It attaches itself to me. When Jesus is telling us to shake the dust, he's not saying to return rejection with rejection. What he's saying is that don't let the rejection attach itself to you. Shake the dust. Get it off of you. Let the peace that you gave out return to you and then you can walk away. Why? Because there's so many more people that need you. They need what God has for you. They need your gifts. Only free people can free people. And so we need to shake the dust and walk away in our peace. Now, some people in pride and immaturity may hear this message and may think, well, um, since I can't be the king in this kingdom, I'm going to go find another kingdom where I can be the king in. But that's not what he's saying. Sometimes God closes the door, not because anything negative is happening with us, but because our character hasn't developed yet to carry the weight of the position that, that we're wanting. 
How many of you guys have ever like wanted, like, I, I would love to be the CEO of a company, right? I would love to be, you know, I would love, you know, you, you look at your bosses, 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 boss. Man, that would be a cool job to have. But have you done the work to get there? Is your character shaped in such a way that you could carry that load? Most people know. Most people know. And so what we have to do is sometimes we have to see that when God closes the door, it's not because he's rejecting us or other people are rejecting us. It's because we can look inside and say, God, what are you trying to shape in me? What are you trying to put in me? What are you trying to mold in me? What are you trying to, to, what in my character is not quite ready for what I feel like you've called me to? What is that? And then when you do that, then you can go in and you can open yourself up to God and say, God, shape me. Mold me. Make me into what you want me to be. We see this in the children of Israel when they were not allowed in the promised land. A lot of us think it was just because their unbelief. It was just because they, you know, when the, the spies were sent out and they saw the land with giants in them, they got afraid. And then they, they were like, no, we're not going to go into this land. We're not going to go into this promised land because there's giants there and we're not going to be able to beat them. I don't believe that God can do that w- with us. That's not what the Bible says is the only reason. In Deuteronomy, it talks about how a God and, 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 uh, and it's because he says that, that it's their pride as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I've commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and, and are full and have built good houses, and he's talking about once you're in the promised land, built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flock are multiplied and your silver and your gold have multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who bought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Sometimes God stops us on our journey because our character is not ready for where he wants us to be. And that's okay. Sometimes God will lead us through seasons of wandering to shape our character because of this. Time and wandering is only wasted if you are the same person that you were when you started wandering. Time and wandering is only wasted if you are the same person that you were when you started wandering. If you don't draw closer to God, if you carry just as much pride and unforgiveness and shame and doubt as when you started, if you don't let him mine all that stuff out of you in the waiting, then the waiting is wasted, but it doesn't have to be. The wilderness will either expose your pride, the ways that you cannot be useful to God, or it will prepare you for victory. The wilderness will either expose your pride or it will prepare you for victory. When you go through rejection, when you go through times of waiting, when you go through times of like, man, I have this dream in my heart and I, I believe that God has called me to do this and I don't, I'm just not there yet and I just don't see it and it's not happening and just I feel like I'm in the wilderness just wandering around, that will either expose the pride that I have in my heart or it will prepare me for the victory that God has for me. We, we see how God works in the waiting in the life of a young shepherd boy in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this will be the, um, the last one we look at today. 1 Samuel chapter 16. God tells, uh, God, tells, uh, God tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16 about a king named Saul. And Saul had lost God's anointing to be king over Israel. 
So God sends this prophet named Samuel into this small village called Bethlehem. Sounds familiar, right? Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, right? Goes to this town called Bethlehem to find a new king. He was given instructions to look for this king among the sons of Jesse. And we'll pick it up and pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. Here's what it says. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab was the, the, the firstborn. Eliab was the one that was the leader. Eliab was the one who thought that he, he, he should be, if, if there's going to be a king among these, these boys, Eliab's going to be the one that does it. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, no, this is not the Lord's chosen one. And then he, he, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, no, this is not the Lord's chosen one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? You can imagine, like the prophet's coming. Uh, the, hey, Dad, so one of your sons, one of your sons is going to be anointed the king. One of your sons is the next king of Israel. You better believe, like, I would have everybody, like, everybody get a bath. Everybody put some deodorant on. Everybody get, look ready to go. Be ready to go, right? One of you guys is going to be the next king. One of you guys is going to do it. And so Samuel had bought seven of, or, or Jesse had brought seven of his sons to pass before the prophet. And the prophet's like, well... I know God told me that it was going to be in your house. I know God told me that, that, that Jesse, one of your sons, was going to be the next king. Are all your sons here? Is everybody here? But Jesse said this. He says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, it, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. Jesse didn't even bother getting his youngest son home from the fields. He didn't even bother doing it. That's what rejection is like. How many of you guys have ever been through a situation like that where you feel like, man, my boss, my coworker, my parent, my spouse, whoever it is, they didn't even bother considering me. You ever felt like that? We go through this, and, 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 and this, this, this dad, he just didn't even bother getting his son in from the field. If there was like a least likely to succeed award in the house of Jesse, this kid would have won it hands down. Verse 12, the story continues, and he sent and he bought him in from the field. He was ruddy, but had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. In the next chapter, you've probably heard this story. David finds himself challenging a giant named Goliath. Let's read in First uh, Samuel 17. Just flip, flip over a page. Let's, let's, let's listen to this. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, the giant. Your servant will go out will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, listen to this. Again, 
Some of us have been wandering in the wilderness. Some of us are wondering why we're in the wilderness. Some of us are why, why we're out of the game. Listen to what David said. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when the, there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, he went out, I went out after him and struck him and delivered it from his mouth. And if he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to him, Go, and the Lord be with you. Being marooned out in the wilderness wasn't wasted on David. He learned how to protect the flock. He learned how to fight. He learned how to kill lions and bears. And when the time came to kill Goliath, he was ready. And some of us are so worried about, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next job? What's the next promotion? What's the next position that we're going to have? That, that we've lost the, 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 the lessons that can be learned from the wilderness. Had David not spent time in the wilderness, had David not been marooned and forgot about over in the wilderness, he would not have learned that he in himself had the character, had the ability, had the skill, had the, the things developed in him to where he could kill lions and bears and then this Philistine would be nothing for him. Some of us may feel so isolated and alone and looked over, but instead of getting angry, David uh, showed us an example here. No experience is wasted on God. No experience in your life is wasted on God. You may think, God, I don't understand why I went through that. No experience is wasted on God. God, I didn't deserve that. No experience is wasted on God. God, I I, I was serving you. I was doing everything that I knew I was supposed to do. Why did this happen to me? No experience is wasted on God. God can take the, the, the fights that you had, the, 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 the conflict that you have, the struggle that you had against lions and bears in your past or what you're currently going through, and he can use that to develop strength and to develop skill and develop character for you to face the giants in your future. Had David not gone through that, he would not have had the confidence to face Goliath. This time in the wilderness is only preparing you to serve God in ways you never thought possible. Later, this shepherd became a king. And he writes this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. All the conflict, all the hurt, all the shame, all the rejection, And this is what he ends with in this passage. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.